You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the RSA Conference podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And this is Hugh Thompson, RSA Conference Program Committee Chair. And I'm joined today by Britta Glade, Senior Content Manager for RSA Conference. Britta, how are you? I am great. It's good to be back with you today, Hugh. Um, And thank you, everyone, for listening today. We got some really good feedback on our inaugural episode last month. We've actually had over a thousand listeners. So thank you all for finding us. Uh, We invite you to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes so you can never miss an episode. You just search for RSA Conference and you'll find us. And you can also follow RSAC on Twitter. The handle is at RSAC Conference. RSA Conference. I guess the C is part of conference. Sorry. Mumbling. Hugh, take it away. Okay, okay. Well, let's get into the show. So today, we're talking about professional development, one of the most important topics in cybersecurity. We've all talked about the cybersecurity skills gap and the shortage, but how do we get better as professionals? And really, really excited about our guests today, joined by two very interesting professionals, with very different backgrounds. And with that nebulous introduction, Jen, I'm going to turn it over to you to just give us a little bit of background. Great. I'll be the guinea pig. So this is Jennifer Manella, also known as JJ. Um, I'm a VP of Engineering and Security with Carolina Advanced Digital. And a lot of folks know me because I also serve um, on several nonprofit organizations, including on the board of directors for ISC Squared. So hi, everyone. Great. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. And we also have on the line, Shannon. Shannon, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, this is Shannon Leeds. I work for Intuit. I'm the director of DevSecOps there. I also um, am the primary founder of DevSecOps, the community, and um, have been working in the industry for a little under 30 years. I'm really excited to be here today. Wow, it's it's incredible to think that our industry is thirty years old. That's uh, that's actually pretty amazing. So thanks to both of you for taking the time for this, and you've both got very different career paths, but yet some real commonalities, and you bring some very very strong commitments to the community. I think you know just in your intro, you talked about some of the aspects of professional development that you participate in, that you give back to the community through. And we really want to explore that during this podcast and look at what professional development means today in cybersecurity. Great. And Hugh, I actually wanted to jump in right there. Um, And I'm going to preface my first question. And Shannon, it's going to come to you with a little story. So I love storytelling. Um, So last year, Jennifer and Shannon were part of our program committee. And I remember distinctly, I can still see it in my mind, our program committee meeting, it was awesome. Over lunch, we were discussing trends. That's one of my favorite things that we do at our, at our meeting is bring that group together to talk about, you know, what are we seeing? What are we seeing in the submissions? What do we think this means about the future? We, we covered a, a lot of ground in that discussion. And, you know, as, as you uh, reflected on in the beginning, Hugh, with the shortage of security workers, 
which we saw reflected in the submissions, you know, different flavors. We, we saw things about automation, artificial intelligence, training programs that were targeted at different types of the population. The, a bubble up conversation erupted in and around how do we find and develop future workers and then help our current workers to stay sharp, knowing that the industry is changing. And Shannon, you shared some really interesting insights on a program that you pioneered it into it. And you know, based on that conversation, we then asked you to actually create a presentation around it. It's online in the archive of presentations from 2017. And for our listeners, I definitely recommend you find it. And it's good listening. Search Culture Hackers on the RSA Conference website, and you can hear the presentation. Uh, but, but Shannon, tell us a little bit about what you did, how, how your findings caused you to approach hiring differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that was my favorite talk last year of the entire year. I was super excited about joining the program committee. And I can tell you that um, just an awesome opportunity. One of the most incredible parts of that conversation, I think, was just um, being able to share some of the insights that we've had it into it. And as we've erected sort of that DevSecOps program, uh, adding security to DevOps has been no nothing short of a big challenge. Um, one of the primary challenges was actually understanding the transformation and the change that people have to go through and realizing that that doesn't get done by simply hiring for experience. In fact, what we found was that we needed to hire early career to be able to offset and allow for the transformation to happen for uh, faster. And so um, what one of the hiring practices we've done is to try and hire sort of a 30-30-10 or 30-30-30-10. And um, that's basically hiring straight out of college, um, brand new graduates into the security program, um, bringing their new energy and vitalization, making sure that they have opportunities to help craft and uh, create innovation in the space. Hiring um, moderate skilled, so basically finding folks that are um, not early in their career but have had a few years to be able to show that they've got experience and to be able to create sort of a leadership um, path for those that are uh, coming in from college. And then um, finally, really kind of uh, providing some of the um, grand leadership expertise and experience through 30% highly experienced. And that creates a learning agility within the team that is unparalleled in my experience. Um, it creates the excitement around people learning together. It also allows for uh, questioning old practices and really getting people out of their comfort zones. And then I think finally, it's the 10% that you hold back the, you know, looking for the secret uh, hidden squirrels, the purple squirrels of our um, industry, and also either purple unicorns, we call them a variety of different things. Those folks can help you move the needle. They don't always come with some of the skills that you're looking for in the rest of the team, but they really do help the team to um, find ways that are maybe um, interesting to solve for hard challenges. 
And by bringing all of those people together, what we truly find is that um, you create this ecosystem for everybody to challenge, question, and create sort of the scientific approach to security. It allows for experimentation. It creates um, pairing. It gets people that are experienced to work with folks that are innovative in their approach that don't necessarily bring the baggage that may come from being in this industry for a very long time. And having um, been in this industry for almost 30 years now, what I'll tell you is I am super excited and very passionate about working with people who don't know much about the industry because they've always got me questioning the things that I believe in and that I hold as sort of those ceremonial truths. And I've often found that those ceremonial truths in today's climate are actually changing. Shannon, that, that, that's fantastic. I mean, I love that approach of injecting innovation by choosing very eclectic groups of people. And I, I, Jen, I wanted to ask you a question just kind of keying off of that. You serve on the board of ISC Squared. You've been involved in so many what I'd call professional development societies, organizations, groups, movements. But yet, when I talk to the average person that's in the security space, and I ask them, hey, you know, how are you thinking about your career trajectory? How are you thinking about your own professional development? Often, it's not something that they've really thought about. They don't know where to turn to. They don't know where the resources are. So I'd love to just get some insight from you. For folks that are in the space right now and they're thinking about you know, how do I grow my skills? How do I grow my position? What do I become? What advice would you have for them? That's a great question. And I, I love that you just said I was involved with a professional development movement. That's that's awesome. Um, <laughs> it, that's a good, you know, one of the things and one of the challenges, and it's a challenge that I think we have at, at the micro level personally, um, scaling all the way up to the macro level um, with global organizations and international organizations like ISC Squared. And the challenge is how do we help people get into the field if they're not in the field? And, and I don't necessarily mean coming out of college, but if they're in another field, um, how do we get them into the field and on the right path, which looks very different than somebody is in the industry and they want to develop themselves? And there, there's a few different ways to answer this. Um, but I think the couple of things we have to start to look at is the one thing I, I like to talk to people about is like, where where is your passion? And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm not a, um, a tree hugging uh, life coach or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with hugging trees. I love them. Um, but you know, part of it is you have to really start to think about your professional development in terms of your personal development and make sure they're aligned. I think sometimes people just kind of go at things willy nilly. Um, there's definitely a little bit of ego um, in, in the industry, uh, not just our industry, several industries, but we happen to have some of that too. Um, and people like, you know, a certain amount of recognition. They like a certain type of trajectory and career path. Um, and just starting to understand where people's deep-seated passions lie about life and what they want to do with their life, how they want to contribute, or how they just want to grow for that um, for that you know time period. And I can you know I could give you the party line from ISC Squared about about their certifications. Um, the truth is, there's a lot of paths. Um, there's a lot of ways. Certifications and training are definitely a fantastic way 
to, to get in um, and for a lot of reasons. So you're learning something you didn't know. Maybe you're expanding or deepening knowledge for something that you had started. You're building a community and a network of people, um, especially if you're at an in-person class. Um, and there's lots of opportunities for other, you know, in-person communities that aren't necessarily, you know, training and certification, but it's a great way to dabble and kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like and meet people and talk to them. Um, definitely, obviously, I feel passionately about ISC Squared. Um, I think they are one of, if not the only, nonprofit certifying body, um, accredited certifying body uh, in, in, in the marketplace in our industry. Um, so, you know, their motivations for delivering content um, are very different. They're there to service the members versus, you know, making a profit. Um, so, you know, things like obviously the CISSP, which everybody is familiar with, and then things like the SSCP. So the organization has six fantastic certifications and, you know, they're meant to hit people at different trajectories and in different in, input paths. Um, but I think it's really important to understand how somebody's coming in, um, and then part of how they grow, really, they need to stop and think about where they want to be. And the challenge, I think, in, in our industry is that they don't always know, um, and there's not necessarily a good way because everybody has strong, I think, some strong personal feelings about what's cool or what's not cool uh, from certifications, from training, from job descriptions. Um, so one of the things I think we all try to do, and I'm, I'm sure Shannon's involved in a lot of this too from talking to her, is, you know, especially with the students coming out of a, a college is, you know, getting everybody familiar with what pen tester sounds cool. I get to be a hacker, but what does that mean? Like, what what are you going to be doing every day? Do you want to be doing that every day? How do you interact with other people? How do you continue to learn and grow and deepen knowledge? Um, and is that something you want to do? And if it is, what are the specific skill sets? Um, that'll get you from point A to point B. Yeah, no, that that's great. And I think about the work that ICS Squared has has done over the years. It actually is pretty incredible that the CISSP has gotten to the level that it is. And it, it, it's, it's interesting on the one hand because you have a, a definite path to get there. There's a curriculum, there's a set of exams, there's an apprenticeship requirement. But then, Shannon, I keep kind of thinking back to your purple unicorn comment <laughs> and, how, and how you hunt, <laughs> hunt for these rare animals. And, um, you know, I, I thought about some of the people that I really admire in this security space and it's unpredictable what their background is or was, right? Some, some have come in it from the pure technology space, like they were a software developer. Uh, some have come into it from a, a governance risk kind of area. Some have come in from completely unrelated fields like biology. But it, it seems like it's that diversity that makes us who we are in a space where you constantly have to change. And so I, I wanted to ask you about that, given that there are so many diverse paths to get into the security space, are, are, do you see that changing over the next 10 years? Do you see more programmatic pathways existing? Like when the college recruiter kind of comes in and they're talking to you about all the cool programs that, uh, that you can do after high school, how do you think they're going to frame up this information security opportunity? And are we anywhere close to them doing it? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. And JJ had some amazing information there about how to sort of build some skill sets off of the common body of knowledge that ISC squared has. I think many do turn to that. I have a couple of people who right now are getting their CISSP. Um, you know, going to the, how do we think about um, creating opportunities for some of the folks coming out of high school and in, into college? What does that look like? How do you get into the information security field? I think there's there's two things here. One is there are definitely programs that are starting to facilitate that information security mindset. There's a lot of compliance bent around it because it's truly much easier to teach um, sort of the compliance capabilities because they're more formulaic. They've been, um, there's, a, there's a large body of knowledge there. I think for some of the more pioneering things, it's much harder. And um, this is where I think that sort of that DevOps approach of collaboration, finding an ecosystem that you can learn in and really developing those paths is something that we haven't as an industry yet really cracked, right? So if I look out on the educational community and I have an opportunity next week to go spend some time with the educational community, um, I'm super excited about it. I'm interested in learning how they're framing this pathway. And the reason I'm interested in it is because I truly believe that the reason why we don't have enough professionals in this space is because we haven't quite figured out how to create the funnel and um, how we're going to educate and increase skill set and really measure and refine and basically recruit into this industry. The, the folks that are doing it, like if I look out on the current industry, uh, Carnegie Mellon's a great place to learn about information security, Arizona State University, another great place that's got an emerging program where they're seeing more practitioners being pulled in to explain more about what they're looking for in folks that are entering into these programs. But I think there's a, a true calling for the information security industry to participate in creating these programs, to get involved with these universities, to help shape the next generation of folks that are coming out and kind of create that fuel for the innovation that's required. Um, if we look over the next couple of years, what I see is a truly booming field, one that is in um, a constant transformation right now that's being pushed in many ways towards an emergence of a new way of operating. So there's lots of opportunity from it. Things like cloud security are becoming a new way and capability that people have to have skill sets for. Um, also, as we look at DevOps and how you're going to add security upstream and, you know, shift it to the left, one of the things that starts to happen is how do you get these skills? How do you apply things like science to security? How do you get to the point where the experiments help you make better decisions? Uh, decision engineering is something that I truly see as a science that needs to be added to the curriculum of a security professional. And then ultimately, I think, you know, everybody's kind of enamored with the, the thought of being a hacker. And I, I truly don't believe there's enough of those programs out there right now about how you ruggedize code, how you really have the skill sets to be able to look at something, develop an abuse case. And I, I quite often have helped um, some of our development talent to understand one of the biggest challenges is that folks still look at this as a problem space where they're adding security controls to code, but instead what they need to be looking at is what does the adversary use case look like? What's the experience that we're all developing for a bad guy? And if we could actually put ourselves in the, the mind frame of a bad guy and understand how easy it is or how hard we're going to make it, 
then I think we're going to get to a point where that friction that we create for the bad guy is not something we're actually adding to the customer path. And that's ultimately going to have a reward. Absolutely. And, um, and I, I wanted to jump in there too, because Shannon, I, I love, I think when we, to the story and I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like my whole body tightened up when Britta said she had a story about us. Cause you just never know where that's going to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's not good. Ever, but when right? I, when I rewind my mind to that day, uh, and I, I remember where we were all sitting exactly. And, um, I think it was you that, you know, we're talking about kind of the continuous learner attitude when somebody asks, what, what do you seek out? And we had a conversation around that. And I thought that was a really great way to frame it. Um, and to kind of piggyback what you're, what you're saying here is, so the creating the funnel, um, and then framing the pathway kind of continuing on from what I was saying about everybody has, you know, different entry points and different trajectories once they get in there. Um, you know, there's so many things I feel like, I think two big hurdles, if I were to kind of distill it down two big hurdles, um, to talk about for today. One is that, you know, we have so many professionals in the technology space that I feel like we're not leveraging from the security side. Um, so we, you know, we have developers that know how to write code. We have network admins that know how to design uh, infrastructures. We have sysadmins that know how to manage platforms, but we don't seem to be doing, or we haven't been doing a very good job of pulling those people in and saying, hey, you already have 80 some percent, I'm making up percentages, that sounds good, 80 some percent of the knowledge, <laughs> let's overlay and, and build security into that because you already understand how the system works. So the whole thinking like a bad guy thing, if you don't understand how a system is built and works, you can't, you can't really do that. So I think we're missing an opportunity there, um, kind of dovetailing into what, what you were saying. And then I think the second problem is, and it's related to this, is that security with air finger quotes around it is so broad. I mean, I, I kind of understood, you know, back in the day when we, you know, started talking about, um, started talking about security uh, as the overlay into some of our systems and just something we needed to think about and pay attention to. And it was a great way to bring some awareness, um, shine a light on a problem. And I feel like we kind of have outgrown that. I think we've outgrown security with the finger quotes around it. And we need to be more specific to your point about what, what that means for people. Are they in GRC? Are they doing risk compliance stuff? That's a completely different person mentality skill set and, and path than somebody who wants to do pen testing or, or other types of development. So, you know, are we at the point where we need to stop having these, oh God, Britter, he's going to hit me here. Are we, do we need to stop having these giant security And that's our and time. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to cut this short. Um, but it, <laughs> my question is, how do we start, how do we start putting things in meaningful buckets, buckets that mean things to people um, besides tracks that, you know, everybody makes up their own track for things and, and there's validity to that. But what's our next step? Yeah, you know, this is a great point, JJ, and, and maybe they're going to let us keep going here for a moment because I, I do believe the conferences are necessary. Excellent point. Excellent I think, point. And, and this is something right, please I... Please continue. Please continue. I think that... <laughs> I think that, um, 
you know, one of the things that I brought up last year uh, during our meeting was that I think we have to frame them different. I think we need to start looking at these as being skill development capabilities. Like I cannot imagine not having the conferences that have been emerging because we're truly seeing practitioners really want to jump in and spend that time, you know, developing other people, learning from them, that collaboration style. And so I think there's lots of opportunities. Like last year we saw a completely different change in RSA. And I thought that it was, is just amazing. Like we saw the vendors have a new showcase. We've seen opportunities to really um, embrace the science associated with learning. And I believe that's where some of it is just reshaping how we do this, um, you know, experience for folks that are trying to come in. And I think to your, there was an earlier point about we're not leveraging people across our companies, across the industry enough in the technology industry. And I truly believe you're onto something there. Um, this notion that security is only for security practitioners and, and professionals is something I think is a misnomer. And I really do believe that we need to get security into the DNA of every technologist, of every business professional, because they're the folks that are going to help. They're the front line against adversaries. They're the ones that we need to get to be more savvy about what that looks like. And ultimately, I, I think it's professional development, not just of security practitioners. I mean, they're extremely important because without their experience, without the ability to dig into the science, you know, you wouldn't want to necessarily take a drug where you didn't have good scientific background in data um, it being developed for pharmaceuticals that you're going to uh, put into your body. Why would you also then want to have not enough people actually digging into the science of security and providing you the feedback loop and the mechanism to understand the work that you're going to do every day? I tend to believe there's there's got to be the ecosystem of sort of that depth of the security practitioner. The bar is raising for our profession. And ultimately, if you're not developing skills to code, if you're not developing yourself to understand and dig into the science of things like dark web and motivations and how somebody can trick somebody and the different pathways of even things like shared responsibility models or shared platforms and ecosystems and where the true kind of gotchas are. I think we as a profession just really need to take what we have, which is we have conferences, we have online learning capabilities. I don't know if you guys have seen Cybrary, but it's an amazing capability that practitioners have put together and it's free. And it's something that we need to actually turn around and look and realize that every day is a learning opportunity, not only for ourselves, but also for the people around us where we're actually giving them back something. One of the one of the great books that you know I recently read was something called Multipliers, and that book really talks about um, how you actually bring out all of the the good and the learning in the people around you. So every day I try to practice going out and asking myself, how am I giving feedback and information back to the decision makers about security, such that the science we're developing as an industry is actually um, being funneled and filtered so that it doesn't waste their time. They don't have to become practitioners for me to respect their decision making, but they need to have the information about what's happening in order for them to make good decisions. And I think that there's been too much of a bias in the industry about 
who can practice security and why and what, you know, I think to some level, the certifications back in the day made it so it was kind of a closed knit club. And I, I just don't really believe in that. I think it needs to be boundaryless. I think we need to take advantage of every mind out there because the more we get this to be cross-functional, cross-industry, um, where we're actually partnering between companies, the more we're going to create a safe fabric for the products that we're all developing. That, that makes sense. And before my line mysteriously, very mysteriously gets disconnected, <laughs> I, I absolutely am a, a firm believer and supporter of conferences. I would make a little bit of joke there, but um, but I do I do feel like we have to to tune the content in a little bit, and make it make it directed. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pass the yeah. mic back over. Uh, well, back JJ, you're amazing. And, and I love Jen, all and of Jen, the, just, the just for the record, look, we do not kill the mic over here at RSA Conference Podcast. We just fix it in editing afterward. <laughs> That's funny. I will. I will say this though, Hugh, be, and, and partly because of Britta, that out of all of the conferences every year, the RSA conference is the one that stays on my calendar that I always go to, unless you know something completely catastrophic is happening here. There is no other conference uh-huh. that I say that about. So oh it, it is that conference for me. I- I was going to say, I had a section only wow, four weeks before um, going to wow, it. that's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so pretty much the one that serious. stays wow. on my calendar every year. No, I'm sorry. Bring it down. But, no, I love this conversation that just happened because, Hugh, it, this is totally in line. And, and, you know, both Shannon and JJ, you've now been part of a program committee you know the absolute due diligence that every single submission goes through as we seek for objectivity, we seek for balance across the um, agenda. We try to get really deeply inside the hearts and minds of our attendees. And we know we know that we need we know that everyone's looking for a personalized different experience and we're, we're trying to make sure we deliver that for our attendees. And, and we really put a lot of a lot of effort into it. And and what's nice is, you know, our professional development track, it was super popular this last year. And as a commercial, book, um, just like Shannon's sessions available with the audio recording synced with her slides, about 300 of the sessions from this last conference are as well. That, that's a new offering that we have. It's out there for free right now. I think a lot of our um, a lot of our listeners and a lot of our attendees even weren't aware we were doing that. It's kind of a new thing we were trying. It's awesome. Huge library of great stuff out there for you. So take a look, everyone, because um, there's some, some good content. Because we do recognize this need that people have for professional development, um, you know, throughout the year. And it's not something in a single week is going to solve. And it was – it was – totally revamped. I, I loved participating in that last year. And I love that you guys kind of kind of gave um, that committee the power to, to really wipe wipe the, the slate clean and start over and handpick a lot of content uh, and, and go out and seek, you know, people to submit the type of things um, that that were of interest to the attendees and what they were asking for. And so it was really fun to watch that kind of yeah. grow and take so, on a life. So Jen, with that, year. I'm going to direct a question. I know you, um, when I think JJ, I think mindfulness. Um, so, you know, obviously mindfulness is, is, a, is a, is a big practice for you. 
what strategies do you employ for your own personal effectiveness, for your own mindfulness? There's so much out there to read, to listen, to learn. Um, you have limited time. You are superwoman, but you've still only got 24 hours in a day. What advice would you have for practitioners of how to mindfully approach their professional development? Oh, that's one of those things that's so personal. I'm, I'm always happy, happy and very transparent to, to share what I do and then what I don't do sometimes because I do... I do fall off the wagon, um, but I think it's one of those things that, you know, that everybody has to find something that works for them and something that, that kind of resonates with them. And so, you know, it, I have a whole practice. Um, I, I do stuff daily. I have quiet time. I would say that, you know, at a minimum, um, if, if you want to try to be mindful, and I was kind of, you know, I was really nervous about coming in as an engineer and then starting to talk about things like, you know, mindfulness and, and the neurohacking conversation and, and things leading into meditation and kind of those softer, you know, somebody told me woo woo, woo stuff. Um, and I think it's one of those things that it was so well received. Um, I, I Unbelievably, I have customers who want to do case studies with us on large implementation projects, and they also want to do co-presenting on mindfulness and how they're introducing it into their organization. And so I'm, I'm blown away by how many people are embracing it. Um, but I think just to make it accessible, the first step is to realize that it is super accessible because there is so much out there and, you know, different people talk about, oh, you need to, you know, do you need to sit and meditate or you need to do this or you need to breathing exercises. I think a lot of it is just sampling those things, knowing that, Sometimes you just have to find the right combination of the right order of things um, and trying it for more than once. Um, and I think probably the, the first huge step for most of us in the, in the profession is to pause and decide that we're going to make time to try it. Because the number one thing, I mean, before I'm halfway through a sentence, if one person asks me something, if there's another security professional there, they tell me why that it doesn't work for them, why it wouldn't work for them, and why they haven't tried it, because they know it won't work for them. And so I think my challenge to everybody is just try it. It's one of those things that, um, it's one of those things I think you really have to experience yourself to see, oh, wow, this really does work. I mean, it's kind of like the as seen on TV ad where somebody's, you know, posting something up there and it, you know, it's awesome and it's great and it's $10. And if you order now, you get another one free. And then if, if you order in the next five minutes, you get this carrying case and you're like, it's too good to be true. And then you get it and it's like, it's the best pan you ever had or, or whatever. So it's one of those things I think you really have to try and to define what it is and what people could, could do or, or should do, you know, really being mindful is just about, it's about paying attention. It's, it's about a pause. It's about responding instead of reacting to things. It's about being really ridiculously aware of what's going on around you. Um, it's, it's a way to tap into your intuition. It's a way to give your brain a chance to process things and, and to kind of move past impasses. You know, when you're banging your head against the wall with a problem or you're just really not sure where your next path is, whether it's tactical or strategic, if it's, you know, what to do tomorrow or what to do 10 or 20, 50 years down the road, what you want to, you know, what you want to be accomplishing. I really feel that mindfulness is really, sometimes it's just a matter of sitting there, not filling your brain with things all the time. Stop, you know, stop the input, take a pause, take a breath, take a deep breath, stop looking at your phone. You don't have to answer emails every three seconds. It's just paying attention 
and being aware. That's really the first step. Then you can get into, you know, the breathing exercises or, or maybe even a, a sitting practice where if you don't want to meditate per se, if you can just kind of sit quietly, again, no inputs, no, no screens in front of you, just try that for five minutes a day and see, see where that gets you. See if it does something for you or not. My, my expectation is it will. So it definitely plays a big part in my daily life. I mean, I get up early. I got up at four today before my alarm went off. So by the time six o'clock rolled around, I had already meditated, gone to the gym, came back, was having breakfast and taking a shower. That's my day. That doesn't work for everybody. Um, I was definitely not always like that, but you know, try something, see if it works. And if it does, Shannon, let, 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 let me ask you a question following up on, uh, on, on Jen's comments. You know, I think that that, that that idea around mindfulness and focus is so important, especially in an industry like this, when things are coming at you very, very quickly. And it's so easy to get completely consumed in those, uh, those interrupt moments. But one other factor that seems to be so critical when you look at the folks that have been very successful in this field is passion around the field like they 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 feel a mission uh and they understand the mission that they're on they they want to protect people or they want to uh protect uh, a country or they want to protect an institution or they want to protect uh, a way of life and i i wanted shannon just for a second to read something that's on your linkedin profile that i thought was just fantastic and it's uh it's it's a couple of sentences so uh, so i'd ask the audience to bear with me for a sec but you say there's never been a better time to dedicate energy towards security transformation to improve the safety of software the world is evolving, which makes it necessary to find better ways to scale security so that everyone can assist in protecting the things we build and the relationships we create daily. You know, I, I thought that was one of the most sort of, you know, pure and direct mission, personal mission statements that I've seen. And I wanted to ask you about that and ask you about how you find time to dedicate to the furtherance of the field. So not just time to, to fulfill that mission and the job that you're in, but time to make the field stronger and better. And I know you have done that in the DevOps space. So any, any advice you can share with our listeners on that would be most welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I want to build from the mindfulness piece. I think I mentioned science earlier. I'm a scientist at heart. I went to school for science. I'm a biologist, right? You mentioned that earlier in the podcast. And, um, you know, to answer your question about passion, I think that this is something that's truly been in the heart and soul of who I am for a long time. I mean, as a, a child, I pretty much grew up with the notion of fairness and trying to get to the point where we sort of have that utopic society. And I think I, I live for those things. This should be, you know, a collaborative way of living. We should use technology to further humanity. And when I really think about what drives me, you know, I've got two little girls and 
there's two facets to that. I want them to ultimately be served by technology in their lifetimes. And I believe that if we don't protect it, we're going to lose that opportunity. They will not find it as valuable as we all have. And I think second to that is we just have something that we have to give back. And frankly, um, I hear often that people don't have time. And what I find is that there's always 15 to 30 minutes before bed to really unpack, figure out how you're going to move other people forward in this world and how you're going to frame things that you've learned and how you're going to give those back and participate in enriching everyone around you. Um, that doesn't always satisfy other people. They have their own notions. Everybody has their own ideas about what they'd like to participate in. And sometimes uh, creatives tend to want to direct those ideas. It doesn't mean that they're wrong, but there is an element towards collaborating that does bring this scientific approach to bear. And so I think that when we look for time in our day, um, it's time in our day. It's the 10 minutes, the 15 minutes. You do that every day, and that ultimately becomes hours to weeks worth of time every year that you're giving back to the practice, that you're enriching yourself, that you're finding a few minutes to read an article, to go out and work on Slack, to look at what other people are doing, to really look at the things that you can contribute to. And while you may not have a lot of time every day, it's it adds up, right? And so I, I just would actually encourage everybody who's listening that there is always going to be 10 minutes in your day that you can contribute to a professional development capability, whether it be to give something to others or to consume something that somebody else is putting out there. And ultimately, there's really no excuse not to have 10 minutes in the day. If you have 10 minutes to do anything, you know, they talk about if you exercise 10 minutes a day, you're still exercising. And I think this is true of our profession. As we look at what the rest of the world is doing, the industry trends towards hacking, all the things that are happening out there, it's just not acceptable to say there's no time for it. There's always time. Fantastic. I want to... Yeah, I want to hop up in um, actually with a with a wrap up question that I'm going to direct to both of you. Um, in the spirit of of self drive, so we're we're talking right now to professionals. We're all at different places on our paths, and and both of you have clearly um, well, we're all a product of our experience, right? So, what conversation would you have with your 18 year old self? Knowing what you know now, what what seasoned professional advice would you offer to 18-year-old self who's sitting in the passenger seat right now? Uh, Jen, I'll start with you. <laughs> That's a tough question for me. Um, so I got my work permit and have been working in this industry since I was 14 years old. Um, so <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, my I didn't know I had no clue what was going on then. Um, I I still am not quite sure if I do have a clue. <laughs> yeah, so what would I go back and, and tell my younger self? You know, I think probably well, I, I have my my brain goes two ways on questions like this, and so I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to weasel my way out of answering it. But you know, the first thing is there are, there are lots of things that are flashing through my mind right now of like, oh, if I had only known, oh, if I had known this, if I had known to do that, I think I, I could have, um, so to, you know, to, to um, Shannon's point of, you know, doing things for others. And um, 
I think a lot of my strength in being able to do things for others, whether it's finding the time, uh, because I'm definitely busier now from a things going on and responsibility perspective than I ever was before, um, yet I'm able to, to do more um, for, for my company here, for myself and for other people. Um, so I think if there were, there are definitely some things I would have loved, I would love to teach my, my 18 year old self of how to get on that path a little sooner, um, to contribute more, whether it's, you know, mentoring, I mentor high school students here in a uh, cyber Patriot or, you know, serving on something like the ISC squared board, which is international. So I kind of, I kind of think that like I could have done more, um, or, or started doing more earlier. Um, and then the other part of me is thinking, you know what? I feel pretty good about what I'm doing now and what I'm doing now happened because of everything the way it happened before. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, do you go back and, and change the destiny of time? I don't know what I would change, but I definitely feel that we've, we've, we've lived a good life here in InfoSec. Um, things have gone well for me personally. And I, I definitely think I took all of the opportunities that Shannon was talking about, about learning from other people, trying to, you know, contribute bits and pieces before, I think I'm better at um, making those interactions more useful yeah. now. So maybe I would have taught myself that. That's an awesome question. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, I, I actually started my career also with a work permit at the age of 15. So I'll go back to when I started um, you know, there's not a lot I would have traded. I kind of, I would say I didn't, I didn't have quite as many opportunities. I was, um, kind of more like the, the kid that grew up on the other side of the tracks in the security and technology industry. I always ended up taking the jobs that nobody else wanted. Um, and I learned a lot and I think it created a lot of, uh, ruggedness to how I was thinking about things. When I look at um, some advice I would give myself, I think there's probably two, maybe three things that I would I would say, and I would want to build on what JJ said, which was contribute more, get involved more, learn from other people, participate in the groups, the conversation, um, be able to contribute to code more often, get yourself to, you force yourself to grow every day. And I think I grew every day, but I was a very silent part of this industry myself for quite some time. I got forced to do some things with a gentleman for that I worked for in my early 20s. And it was great because he didn't let me kind of sit in the, the shadows. He made me get up in front of 500 people my first time ever talking to anyone. And I remember how um, petrified I was. But after the first time, it really made me aware that I could do it the next time. And so I would say that's that's one element of it. I think the other two elements are you need to, um, as a early career, understand how decisions are made. And so um, really involving yourself and understanding what decision science is, looking at decision engineering, understanding more about how companies operate to make the best decisions for the support of um, dealing with things like business outcomes and business risk. I think that's so crucial to our practice. And I don't think it's early enough in that we actually get that understanding. And I think the third thing, and, and this is just something that I've really been interested in the last you know, many years is understand more about leadership truly earlier in your career. 
Um, I don't feel like I ever really got um, enough leadership coaching, and I don't think I ever really understood the books that were out there, but it's truly a part of our industry that's missing um, from the day-to-day practice is that we are all going to need to be leaders um, at some point, whether we're following or leading, we need to figure out how to lean into each other. And um, there are many books out there to help you to prepare yourself to hear and listen to other people and take things in and really make them yours or dispel them through the science that you're going to you know, practice every day. But I ultimately think those are the three things that um, over my later years, I've gotten many more of those things. It's really enriched my career because of it. And I wish somebody would have pointed those out to me much earlier um, because I feel like I could have had a lot more impact earlier in my career if I had had those. None of us want to be told by anyone else what's right, right? And since since we're both child laborers, little did we know, Hugh. (laughs) Yikes. Wow. well, this this has been this has been a really inspiring conversation. Um, thank you both. You know, my my big takeaways are this importance of community, uh, this importance of of learning from others. Um, I've also definitely learned, not that I didn't know it already, but we security people are definitely the most interesting people at the party, and it sounds like that's going to become even more so in the future. This multifacetedness. We're never going to run out of new things to learn or new sciences to inform us um, as we purposefully and mindfully, you know, set forth on that path. Um, the other thing that, that definitely you both embody is the, the intertwinedness. Is that a word? It is now. The intertwinedness of our personal and professional, you know, really, again, we're all a product <laughs> of our experience and what we're doing personally is going to to inform us professionally and vice versa and, and, and going forth and, and Shannon, you really, I love your beginning, your passion around learning from people from outside of the industry. If all of us every day seek out something new, something that's uncomfortable is the wrong word, but something that's out outside of what we normally would imagine, you know, the wealth of experience, the wealth of perspective, a year from now that we build up from those those different experiences. So um, so thank you. You all have inspired me. Um, you've inspired conversations I want to have with my teenage daughters to you know go forth mindfully. Um, and this is this is awesome. Um, so Hugh, any any further thoughts before we take people into next month with the technology focus? No, I just just wanted to say thanks so much for for giving your your time for this, and you know it's uh, it, it's so interesting to see both of you what you've contributed to this industry, and this is such a young discipline. It, it, it is fascinating to me how uh, how young we are as an industry, and how we do have the opportunity to shape so many aspects of this industry. So thanks so much for being so involved in it. Thanks so much for being so involved in in RSA Conference too. And really appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners and looking forward to talking to you next time.